Is it is it clear what we do with this mindfulness that we succeed in practicing it? Is it clear what we do with this mindfulness if we succeed in having it? If you look on page 10, let's just look together at another one of these teachings. Uh, or a few of these teachings here. You know, as, as, a, as a lay person, a very important part of your life and your practice is all the other people that you are in contact with, that you associate with. <clears throat> and uh, so there's a few quotes here that uh, from the sutras that, that bring that out, I think, very clearly. Uh, both Mahana and uh, Jivaka ask uh, the Buddha for advice on uh, how laymen should uh, practice, instructions for laymen. And he said they should go for refuge, keep the precepts, and in addition to that, they should be actively engaged in the welfare of others. What do you think of that? Generosity takes many different forms. Generosity is certainly one way of being engaged in the welfare of others. Uh, we can be generous with our time. Our, uh, we can assist people in various ways, listen to their problems, uh, help them in ways that they need help. You can be generous with money and material objects. There's many different ways of being generous. What other things have come to your mind? Yes, Neil? Compassion. Compassion, yes. It's very good to practice compassion. It benefits you, and of course it benefits those that you're compassionate towards. And uh, one thing about this world is certainly filled with enough suffering. There's no sh shortage of opportunities to practice compassion, is there? And one of the precepts that we took this morning is to practice loving kindness and compassion. So. I think the one I find very important is consider consideration. Consideration, yes. Respecting somebody else's space or, you know, like my work with certain people working in. I, there's a lot of that locking and it's a very frustrating thing for everybody, you know, even though there's signs everywhere. Nobody has any consideration for everybody. Everybody does their own selfishness thing. And it makes it, everything go out of balance and gets people upset. And so that's one that I feel I'm always aware of, mm -hmm. you know, having consideration for other people's space. But consideration. Compassion, generosity, all of these things are the opposites of selfishness. And they, they do have the advantage of helping you to get your, get out of yourself. 
Sometimes do you feel like you're really stuck inside yourself? Yeah. I have the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I would like share the experience of the patients. It's totally the new, my new experience is totally different than the before I thought. You know, before I thought within the we must have compassion to helping people. That, but that's one level. But the other level is is from the from your mind come the compassion come out from you from the, your mind. Because uh, I have the, this experience like uh, just recently. I'm doing the spring cleaning, and then doing the which spring cleaning. Oh, spring cleaning. Yeah, spring cleaning again in the house and. I find something like some old old thing that relate here to my ex-wife and me, and and then a, a kind of the blue blue spirit coming out. You know, you watch it. I I do mindfulness. I watch it, but I cannot stop it. And it's end up I have to stop it, and I just go go to do meditation. I just go to do for sitting, and because. The mind is too, I mean, okay, I say it's too, 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 too much. Not a crime, not a crime, not a, yeah, not a crime enough, not a crime enough to, to just uh, watch the uh, breath. Mm -hmm. So I try to do it with uh, compassion. And then I find out the real power of the compassion mind, you know, when the when the compassion come out from the mind, yeah. you all the other things were were fit fit out. Yeah. All the other emotions, you know, those things were fit out. Yes, it's, it's compassion is a lovely, lovely emotion to develop, yeah. a feeling, whatever you want to call it, to develop. But, but what I noticed. Um, Coming from another country is, uh, I noticed in America, people would want to reward themselves so much all the time. They think they constantly have to reward and fight themselves tears because they're working too hard on it. They always feel like they have their suffering, you know, it's like they're always rewarding themselves, buying themselves things, you know. And that's kind of selfish. Because I think you become more clouded when you do that, you know, when you reward yourself, when you don't need, shouldn't be serving anything, you know. Yes, I, it doesn't seem like it makes people any happier. Spend a lot of spend a lot of time trying to make themselves happy and not succeeding. So, being concerned with the welfare of others—that is a really important thing too. And uh, so, uh, would that include uh, loaning money to friends? <laughs> it certainly could. Yeah, it, it certainly could. You know, it's uh, it's not an invitation to be foolish and lend money to people. That, you know, <laughs> going, yeah, going to waste it, gamble it, throw it away, or something like that. But definitely, it, it, there's so many different forms it can take. But it can really help you get out of being so trapped in yourself. It also has great ramifications, you know, for uh, society. Uh, I think about in, in this country right now, it's a very interesting thing that uh,
there is a resistance that people have to helping anyone else in any way. Anyone they see as being the, the idea that something's going to be taken away from them and given to somebody else. So they don't see that uh, it's a form of generosity. They, they see this being some, some bad thing being done to them. You know, oh, we're going to take, uh, we're going to. Uh, to uh, spend money on education. Like, it's a really strange idea, you know, because it does not education benefit everyone. But uh, instead, I, I think anybody who thinks about it recognizes that. But there's a kind of blindness that, oh, somebody's going to take something away from me, and I'm not going to benefit. You know, I don't have any children. What do I care about? education or something like that. I'm not sure of the attitudes, but uh, there is this distinct tendency uh, that we keep being confronted with of really profound selfishness and resistance. So that, you know, rather than being one, one people, one group of humanity, uh, helping each other, supporting each other, we want to divide ourselves up into all these separate factions, and every faction is looking for its own benefit. And don't take anything away from me that's going to benefit somebody that doesn't belong to my group, or is not my family, or that I don't have some <coughs> stake in myself. So, yes. You know, sometimes I feel unpatriotic because you know the country USA is a group. Yeah. And you know, you don't don't go in public and say that you know these other countries are just as deserving as this one. You know, it just it's patriotism and it's and compassion are not really terribly compatible. I mean, it's favoring a, the group you're in. You know, and it's sort of a mindless. The way it's it's it is a way that we expand our sense of of self through a larger identification, patriotism. But even within this country, you know, it, it's like it's a strange thing, don't you think, that patriotism isn't interpreted as wanting what is best for everyone in my country. Even it's you know you either my political party or that other nasty political party or my race or my region of the country or my social economic group or you know we're all divided up and we're against each other so uh, we haven't even got enough self-identity coherent self-identity to be a, a patriotic whole as a country <laughs> so it's it's a strange thing but you know, I, I think that part of the practice of, of Buddhism is to be concerned about the welfare of others. And therefore, in a democratic country, there's all these choices to make. And you should, you know, a person who is practicing this path needs to ask um, in terms of uh, the things that they vote on and the, and the people that they vote for and things like this. Is this an expression of Buddhist principles? Is this an expression of, uh, of uh, as, as it says here, for the 
welfare of others. Is this for the good? Is this for, for the benefit? Is this an act of generosity? Is, is this an expression of compassion? Or is this, or, or are these uh, political views and ideas, are they expressions of selfishness? Are they expressions of grasp, grasping and exclusivity and, and so forth? That's, that's an important part of, it, of being a Buddhist lay person too. You, know, you, you have to let everything you do uh, become a part of practicing these practicing these virtues. It may involve difficult choices for people. But if you're serious about it, you have to take that at heart. Yes. So I think it also highlights that we have some power over our environment. We can influence the amount of suffering around us yes. by the choices we make in our lives. That's right. We have, uh, yeah, we can, for example, if you buy products that are manufactured by child labor or under exploitive conditions, uh, are you really are you really keeping precepts of uh, not harming? There's all kinds of choices you make. If you live in such a way, if you use products that contribute to the destruction of the environment or to uh, uh, to creating more pollution and things like that, these all have moral and ethical consequences that are part of your practice. What's really interesting, though is if you are keeping the precepts and if you're doing these practices, what they make you look at is your attachment and your selfishness. Because the problem is that people don't look. As a matter of fact, issues are presented in such a way that they have all kinds of justifications so that a person can take a stand that completely disguises the selfishness uh, of the stand. And you have to look beyond that. You have to look inside yourself. And you, when you practice generosity, it's a way of overcoming your attachment to yourself. It's a way of overcoming your own greed and grasping. When you practice patience, it's a way of overcoming your own aversions and hatreds and sense of separatism and things like that. So the reason that we practice these things is to, uh, is to become aware of this. You know, if, if you, when you practice generosity, you become aware of your attachment because you give away something that, uh, whether it's money or whether it's your time or anything else, you're giving away something that you hold to be precious and of value. And this causes you to confront selfishness and grasping in yourself. This gives you an opportunity to look at it and examine it whenever it comes up. Uh, and, and this is a very important thing to do. So in absolutely everything we do, every interaction we have, uh, the things that we support, the things that we don't support, uh, Politically, the products we buy, the way we live, uh, all the different aspects of our lifestyle, they're all reflections of these same kinds of choices. And as I said earlier today, the situation the world is in is due to
to people being motivated by selfishness and by greed and by aversion and hatred. And so it's a, you, you are either going to be a part of the problem and then reinforce your own attachments that are responsible for whatever dissatisfaction you experience in life as it is, or else you're going to take a different kind of action, you're going to transform yourself internally, and you're going to take actions which will contribute to a more positive direction of things. Let's look at the next thing on here. What happened with Mahanama, uh, the Sakyan, uh, asked the Buddha for some more advice. The first part of this here, uh, the Buddha replied that first they should become aroused to practice and become established in the five qualities of conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. And conviction comes from studying, learning about the Dharma from skilled teachers, and from associating with good companions who are also practicing the Dharma. If you have conviction, you have conviction that this dharma leads to a genuine result and you can attain that result, then this gives rise to persistence. Then from persistence comes mindfulness. And from from mindfulness comes concentration. From concentration and mindfulness come discernment. So these are five qualities to be, be cultivated and developed, and we've talked about this to some extent. Then he goes on to say, once these five qualities are established, the Buddha advised Mahanama to develop six further qualities. In every situation with which a person is confronted in daily life, but most especially in those difficult situations that uh, we encounter from time to time, uh, he should practice recollection of the Buddha, asking oneself how the Buddha, who is consummate in knowledge and conduct, an expert with regard to the world, and unexcelled as a teacher, would respond. What does this suggest to you in your in difficult interactions with people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it gives you a guideline. You know, you say, well, hmm, how would a Buddha respond in this situation? And you might not know. You might not be able to answer that question, but it's a really good question to ask. And it would probably provide you with some clear guidance you know, on uh, what, to, what to say, or what, at least what not to say, what not to do. If not what to do, at least what not to say and do. The other thing that's interesting about this, I mean, this, this is just a paraphrasing of this sutra, but it stresses the fact you're recollecting the Buddha unexcelled as a teacher. And how would a Buddha... See, this is what the Buddha did. He decided to stay in the world for the sake of helping other people to awaken. So basically, all his interactions are about that. They're all about helping other people to awaken. 
So this raises the possibility that when you find yourself in a difficult situation, that perhaps you can, in one way or another, serve as a guide or a teacher, or provide uh, instruction by example of your behavior. So, so this is this is one this is one kind of recollection to cultivate in a difficult situation. What would the Buddha do? How would he behave? But not only that, with the Buddha as the the great teacher, how might the Buddha take this as an opportunity to uh, this situation as an opportunity in one form or another to to transmit the Dharma? not to preach to somebody, but in one form or another, to lead the person skillfully, even if it's only one minute little increment, closer to attaining their own wisdom and understanding and appreciation of the right way to live and the right way to practice. The second recollection that you can bring to any difficult situation is the Dharma. What do you know that the Dharma specifically tells you about how you might behave in a situation like this. Not that the Dharma is full of a lot of examples that when so-and-so comes and says something to you like so-and-so, this is what you're supposed to do because the Dharma doesn't. But the Dharma provides the guidelines. You know, Whatever you're doing, are you acting out of loving kindness and compassion? Are you being open-hearted and generous? Are you practicing patience? generosity? Are you being, as opposed to, are you being selfish? Are you being grasping? Are you acting out of aversion and anger and so forth? So you can ask in each situation what it is that the Dharma offers you as a guideline for how to behave. One should also practice recollection of the Sangha, of those who have practiced well and masterfully, asking as before how they would behave in this situation, what advice they would give to you. Can you see how these would all be really helpful in finding a proper way to respond to a difficult situation? Then he goes on to say, one should also practice recollection of one's own virtue, which has been carefully cultivated over time, is praiseworthy, and is to be preserved untarnished. Uh, This can be very helpful if you're in a situation where you're strongly tempted to... uh, behave in a way that would not be consistent with keeping precepts, uh, that would be not consistent with the uh, values that you've adopted. If you have been, if you have made a commitment and you have been working to keep precepts, if you have been practicing mindfulness, uh, you have, you have cultivated something that is worth that is valuable, it's worth preserving. And you have to ask yourself in the face of that temptation, am I willing to sacrifice uh, the work I've already done on myself, the good karma I've already created, the way I've already conditioned myself uh, in a positive and wholesome manner, am I willing to give that up in this moment? And then, one should practice recollection of their own acts of generosity, of the delight they have taken in being free from possessiveness, compassionate, magnanimous, 
and responsive to the needs of others. That's the other thing is that you can recall the joy and satisfaction that has come from behaving in an ethically responsible way in the past. And you can see that to overcome whatever selfish tendencies may arise in the moment will have the potential to lead to that same satisfaction and delight in the future and another occasion. And finally, one should recollect that the qualities of conviction, virtue, learning, generosity, and discernment with which the devas are endowed had its origin in human life and that those same qualities are present in oneself as well. (coughs) Recollecting in this way, a person's mind will not be overcome by passions, aversions, or deluded thinking. He or she will gain a sense of the goal, a sense of the dharma, and the joy connected with the dharma. Then here's an interesting payoff. When such a person meaning such a person who has practiced this way in the difficult situations in their life. When such a person meditates, rapture will arise, the body will grow calm, ease will be experienced, and the mind will become concentrated. This is an interesting thing in the progress of meditation. There's a certain state that you reach just when the full uh, benefits of uh, meditative joy and tranquility and equanimity arise that you can get stuck and this, this, uh, this, these qualities that are called rapture do not arise. And the reason for that is because of the ways that we have lived and behaved in the world. They've created an agitation in the mind that prevents the mind from entering into that state of stillness that allows that rapture to arise. Agitation, agitation due to worry and remorse and aversion. When these things are present in your mind stream, then no matter how long you sit, there is a limit to the degree of unification of mind that can be achieved. You know, the unification that I spoke of earlier. Some part of your mind is aware of the things that you have done that uh, are not consistent with, with your beliefs, with your precepts, with your dharma. When that is the case, they create an agitation in the mind, which will stand in the way of your further progress in meditation. And I find this one part of the sutra to be a very uh, interesting and remarkable acknowledgement of that, because uh, I actually discovered this line of going through these sutras prior to this teaching. but. Uh, what I had discovered in practice and what I'd been teaching people for years is you'll get to the seventh stage of the practice and if you haven't been working on your virtue, if you haven't been practicing mindfulness in your daily life, you're going to have all kinds of uh, strange bodily sensations but they'll never come to this point of the arising of rapture and pleasure because I saw that happen. Uh, I've, I've seen that happen many times. And it's not until a person makes the changes in the rest of their life that their meditation practice can can progress to that point. And so it was really lovely to come across this line here that uh, confirmation, the, the Buddha confirming my own experience in teaching people meditation that 
if you practice in this way, if you learn to practice mindfully and to keep your virtue, when such a person meditates, rapture will arise, body will grow calm, ease will be experienced, and the mind will become concentrated. And so the Buddha said of these practices, Mahanama, you should develop these recollections while you are walking, while you are standing, while you are sitting, while you are lying down, while you are busy at work, while you are resting in your house crowded with children. In other words, in every circumstance. should be generous. 
And they said, if I am generous, I will get these benefits. And so, the, so they can go out and they can train themselves to be generous because they say, ah, I'm, I'm supposed to be generous, so I'm going to do this. They do something. Uh, and if they do that, then it's coming from this idea that this is what I'm supposed to do or I'm going to get benefits from doing this, right? Which is not a very high place, is it? I think I, I shouldn't say high or low. That's a judgment. Okay. That, that's that's good. That's pretty good. It's but pretty have, good to yeah, do that. Yeah. yeah but I, I I still feel it's the art have have other way also, yeah. and that way for me I feel more powerful. Yeah. But I would like to cultivate more about this this part. Well, somebody who, <clears throat> well, let's, let's just. Keep working on it. Somebody who's just doing this because they think it's a good idea and they feel like they're supposed to and they believe that they're going to benefit from it, are they really being generous? Well, if you ask my opinion, I don't feel as if that's the superficially, yes. Superficially, yeah. But deep, yeah, right. no. Because yeah, I'm still craving and, and I think that it's a benefit, so I do that. Yeah, and the, Poor person they hand a dollar to is going to benefit by a dollar. Doesn't take that away, right? So, but they aren't. Yes, they're not really being generous. They're actually being selfish. They're saying, "Oh, this self, it will, this self should do this. It would be beneficial for this self to behave in that way. This is the kind of self I want to be. I want to be the kind of self that gets to wear the." label that says generous, right? So it's really very selfish. And it might do some good in individual instances, the, the actions of generosity they perform. But we ask ourselves, okay, how much good would that do and are they really being generous? They're not really, are they? That, that isn't really what generosity means. Doing, doing something labeled generous because it's going to make ourselves feel better about ourselves is not really being generous. It's, so should you withhold that generosity because your motives aren't pure? I don't know. Because, as a matter of fact, practicing that generosity in any form is is going to be a step in the right direction. But it's definitely, at that point, you're not being generous. At that point, you're using, you know, it's more like you're engaged in a transaction. Uh, the, the merit. I'll give this so that I gain this merit back. It's a kind of merit. It's a label. Even if nobody else knows, I get to say, ah, I'm, I'm a good person because I'm generous. So you're getting a reward. That's a transaction. How, however, whatever, whatever you gave away, whether it was your time or material goods or money or whatever, it was really a transaction. It was a swap. I will swap this stuff in exchange for this other stuff that I want, namely being able to feel good about being generous. So there's no generosity in that. That's just shopping. That's just horse trading. How do you do like like you said uh, when you help your friend 
and you try to help them out of your heart because you see they are in need and everything. And then your friend ends up taking, stealing from you even uh, uh, after you gave them something. Then that, uh, my friend ended up robbing me. How do you deal with that anger? This happened to me last week and uh, you're bringing this whole thing up. And how do you deal with that? Maybe the, my Buddhist belief tells me to walk away and just, uh, I was, uh, he, he became selfish because I don't need. And, uh, and then I'm thinking, my human side is very angry. I, you know, I want to go to the police and report what they stole from me. It's like, I really don't want to do that, but it's like, it upsets me because two men took advantage of me because I'm a girl, and they see me you know, being kind. They just ended up robbing me. How do I deal with that anger? I, I literally got sick when I found out what happened. Because I hate those kind of confrontations. It's just, I, it shocked me that they took advantage of me like that after I, I shared my food with them and you know, helped them financially, and they ended up stealing from me. How, how do you deal with that kind of anger? How, how did your anger affect you? I, I went home and I was very sick. I, now, when I have confrontations with someone, I literally get sick, right? I'm sick the whole night. And how did your anger affect them? Uh, my friend would not even look at my face. He just kept walking away from me. And, I, I, and it, 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 it didn't affect me the fact that they robbed me. It affected me the fact that they lied to me. It, it's like I was so open to them, and I brought them to my house. And, and it, it, it hurt me the fact that they lied to me, that they disappointed me as human beings after I was so open to them and I was kind to them, you know. I, I don't know how to deal with this anger. I mean, it's just, it's just, I just keep, try, keep trying to get away from it, but it, it, my ego and my, my, the fact that I'm by myself, it makes me want to fight these two guys uh, with the police. And, and it's almost something I don't want to get into, but I don't know how to deal with this anger. It's like, do I just let it go, you know, the... the uh, Can you just let it go? I can let it go, but I'm upset at that because I just... It doesn't just, sound like you can just let it go. I could let it go if I could work on it, you know. Maybe you could suppress it, push it away. No, it's just financial stuff. So money for me is just like. No, I don't know. No, you, you've already let go of the money. I mean, the anger. Yeah. Can you let go of the, the disappointment? <laughs> the disappointment of another person doing that to me. Yeah. You know, when I was very open to them. Yeah. Uh, that's part I have a hard time analyzing. Well, what do you think? She's suffering. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's Duca there. So, what are you going to do? You've got dukkha and you don't want it. What is causing the dukkha? Uh, hanging on to what happened. You're hanging on to the story. The, the story, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Hanging on to the past. And you, you, wanted, you wanted the story to be different, right? <laughs> so, well, any suggestions? That's a. But you don't. You don't have to hold any hatred for them. Yeah. Like you I don't. You want to extend the compassion to them because if they learn from this experience, then maybe they won't do this again. They can see that the harm that they're causing. But doesn't mean that if anybody, you know, do harm to you, you should just completely let it go because if they don't learn that they're harming, then they're going to keep on doing that. What you say is true, but does will that? 
reporting to the police, will that help her anger? Will that help her dukkha? Uh, no, that's something she has to do. But I'm saying... That's something she has to do, yeah. To prevent the people from causing harm yeah. again to somebody else, then maybe she could consider reporting yeah. Well, I, I agree with you that one in any situation like this, one has to consider uh, all of the effects. And if somebody, you know, sometimes someone does something like that, it needs to be reported for the sake of protecting other people in the future. But she was specifically asking about what could she do about her anger. And you're right, she has to deal with it herself. But, you see, but her anger caused her a lot of suffering. She says she went home and she felt sick. So, yeah, how you make it a lot worse if you if you start a battle by reporting your friends to the police and then having the police ignore you and then they don't go to court anyway or they do go to court and you have to go and testify and probably better to say you are my friends but goodbye. So, and just like get on with your life. Like you said, I'm trying to avoid it. They stole the car. They almost stole two cars. You know, the, they, they were on the way taking another car. You got there like 10 minutes early. They took a car and they put it on their name and everything. So I do go to the police. But it's something I don't want to deal with. It is such a pity. Yeah, it's just maternal stuff. So it's, it's like, but I'm sure they have done it to other people. You know, it was a, they had a plan behind my back. And I was just, I, what upsets me, they kind of really killed me, you know, as a person. Yeah. When I was being kind to them, I was being very generous to them, and they totally took advantage of it. That, that's what upsets me, that uh, how can a human being do that to another person, you know, when you're that open. Yeah. So, it's a disappointment that upsets me. Okay, but what I'm hearing, though, is the problem is that you're upset, <laughs> and it's making you unhappy, made you sick, made you feel bad. That's what I see as being a problem. That's right? exactly the problem. That everything and else is you, you didn't ask. You didn't ask, what should I do about these guys that I reported to the police? You said, what can I do about the anger that I feel? Yeah. Yeah, That's so anybody have any suggestions? What should she do about the anger she feels? Yeah. I think uh, the story has uh, two elements need to be dealt with. One is as uh, Tracy said, you know, the, the behavior as a judge is not yeah. is wrong. That's okay. Then this is a, this is kind of a, just opinion. Mm -hmm. Then the second uh, element is the emotional part, which mm -hmm. you are asking. Right. And uh, to deal with that part, um, I think the best way is to, you know, from our own side, we need to recognize the feeling. Um, arise in the, in the beginning, if we can do that, if we cannot, then probably we need to solve the problem in the beginning. For example, um, when this kind of behavior, uh, you we notice then we deal in the early stage, don't let this kind of behavior become bigger. For example, if we notice the person has the habit of uh, stealing something, small things, then we we'll we'll um, try to be more alert of that. Then you don't lend, for example, a big amount of money to him, then the angle will be very big. And also I think if the things has happened, there's still something we can do about it. Uh, one thing is to, I, I think is to balance it. For example, uh, this behavior is wrong, but can I find some good uh, qualities of this person so I can balance this person? Because human beings are complicated. 
himself. In this particular story, he's a bad person, but maybe he's not totally so bad. And the other thing is to look at his background, to see what kind of a, you know, life background to make him to do such things. Maybe he has a very bad you know, for childhood, something like that. So balancing and check the background, what we can do, uh, check our emotion inside in the beginning, or notice the, the story from the beginning, and maybe it will be helpful. Okay, I, I think what I hear you saying is that as far as the emotional part of it, is you could find a way to feel compassion and understanding towards the person rather than anger because compassion emotionally feels better. When we go home with compassion in our heart, we don't feel sick. When we go home with anger in our heart, we feel sick. Right? So that sounds that's that's a good idea. I like that. And does replacing anger with compassion and understanding keep us from under from evaluating a situation and deciding that the right thing to do would be to fill out a police report? Does it prevent us from doing that? No. No. And as a matter of fact, as Gerald mentioned, if you report somebody to the police, then that might produce anger in return. And whether you see those people again, that you'll know people that other The thing is that they're two separate. You have to deal with your emotions, and then you have to deal with what is the right thing to do, what is the right action to take. <coughs> if you take a particular action, that may lead to another set of events, which in turn produces another set of emotions, and then you'll have to deal with them again. But it's really a separate thing, but I think the same solution would work. Uh, and exactly what the Buddha suggested that you do is when you feel anger, you try to replace it with compassion, patience, understanding. Right? And if you can succeed in doing that, then you will have solved your problem. Whatever they stole from you is still gone. Um, whatever trust you put in them has still been betrayed. None of that has changed, but the pain in your heart is gone. And that was what you originally asked for, right? How to get rid of the pain in your heart. If you replace anger with, with uh, positive feelings, then you will solve their problem. And it won't keep you from saying, uh, deciding what is the right course of action and pursuing the right course of action. It'll also give you the tools to work with if you choose a course of action that leads to anger being directed at you, then uh, it will give you the same kind of tools to deal with. You know, so you can deal with the consequences more easily. Yeah. Can I just add something to what I said? Yes. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found that will not be helpful is to keep thinking back and remind and, and replay the scene in your head yeah. over and over because every time when you do that, you're reliving the pain. You're reliving the suffering and that does not help the, the problem. What would help is to think, well, what can I do to replace it with something that's more wholesome? So, it, it, a lot of times, I 
but also have my own experience and also people that I know that when they get upset, they constantly, when they tell people a story, they tell somebody that this is what happened, they are reliving that suffering all over again. So if you could just not suffer from that, then it helps you easier to move forward. That's very good. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, there, there are uh, quite a few mental exercises that can be very helpful for the situation. Uh, we can think about the different possible circumstances this person is in and the different possible outcome that this person will have. Like uh, a person who is in this situation has a high probability of either being extremely desperate, like they have some kind of drug habit, or um, they're extraordinarily ignorant. And in either case, it's pitiable and, and something we can see that um, that in the long run they will have very very poor consequences. If they violate the trust of people who are generous to them, chances are they won't earn a lot of good friends that they can count on in the long run, and they'll suffer a great deal of of bad things from their uh, misconducts. You know, some eventually something will catch up to them, and um, and there 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 are, there are various ways you can to analyze this and see what kind of a you know you know background this person can have you know what kind of outcome that they have, can have it's it's easier to piece together a bigger picture it's not and, and the bigger picture will offer more insight into you know what, what is what, what is the bigger picture very good thank you i don't want to keep you with you wanted to say something about this yes Yes, I want to ask a question, in fact, to you. About this? Yes, about okay. this. Okay. Um, for, for example, this, this case, okay. I, uh, my question is that, from psychology point of view, we can go through counseling, we can say, what's the emotion, and we look, you know, uh, speak out, you know, uh, how angry are, da, 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 all the things. And through the counseling and, and that, we kind of ease this emotion. Okay, we calm down. Okay, or we find out more what's the background, you know, in the past, and the pattern, all the things. That's the psychology counseling way. And uh, uh, we also use like a, uh, maybe counseling with some positive thinking. Okay, could we think about the other person's perspective? Maybe what, what kind of reason I can make up, you know, for, for, for that person, why they behave in this way, that, that, that. But my question is, is there have a different from the psychology and, and, and those positive thinking way is more spi fundamental spiritual way? Yeah, because this one, even though I, I, I solve this problem or solution, but similar things happen in the daily life will trigger me again, mm -hmm. again, again, again. This is still not fundamentally Mm -hmm. I, I'm facing that. I just ease this temporarily, you know, because that still will come out. And hopefully, like similar things and trigger me my disappointment. You see, again, you know, I, I forgive this and that. So I'm asking is uh, from spiritual point of practice point, is any way we can more fundamentally deepen and, and practice some way, you know, definitely from hopefully from now on, again and again, we can less and less those kind of a trigger, this kind of a uh, act, uh, reaction 
and all the things, and we be more see the quote-unquote ultimate truth. So that's what I'm asking. Yeah, the, yeah, that's a good question. That's yeah. a good question. So, but let's just recapitulate where we got to. We have seen that if she could replace the negative, painful emotions that she has experienced with more wholesome, positive emotions, she could resolve the problem of her own suffering, right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen that the, the route to doing that would be through, uh, through compassion and patience and understanding. Right? So we've seen that. So now your question is, okay, well that's fine, but is she going to have to do this over and over again every time something happens that makes her angry? Is, and, uh, is, and if it's difficult, if it's difficult for her to find a grounds for compassion by looking at the person's life, does that mean that she has to go see a psychological counselor to help her work with it or something like that? The point is no. Absolutely not. Because, let's go back, somebody did something to her. It doesn't matter what they did to her. Somebody did something to her that caused her grief. Okay? Now, no matter who did it, no matter where they're from, no matter they're rich or poor, doesn't matter. We don't need to know anything about it. There is grounds for compassion. We don't need to know their background to be compassionate. What's the grounds for compassion? Well, let's, you know, she is suffering because emotion anger arises. And if she looks into that, she'll see that the suffering and the anger come from her ego. Right? It comes from her ego. Now, the, what is the only reason that somebody would do something that causes, that deliberately do something that causes suffering for someone else? Somebody did something to her that caused her to suffer. We don't even need to know what it is to ask the question, what would make somebody deliberately do something that causes somebody else suffering? They thought it would, they thought it would relieve their own suffering, they thought it would make them happy, right? So what we can see in this situation, in both her suffering and the motivations of the person that performed the action that caused her suffering, the same dynamic. She has an advantage though. She has learned something about the Dharma. She knows where suffering comes from and the causes. And if she can become compassionate, and she doesn't need to know how this person grew up or their past events in their life or anything else. All she needs to know, is this a person that believes that they can solve their own problems through hurting other people? They think the solution to their suffering and to their problems is something external to themselves and they, they believe that so firmly that they're willing to do something that causes harm to somebody else in order to achieve that end. You can feel compassion for that person for their ignorance and for their suffering. And or the fact that what they've done only compounds the situation that they're already in. I mean, we know that when somebody steals, that they are now at risk of all kinds of unpleasant consequences from, from the law and everything else. But even if that doesn't happen, they have 
internally, in their own mind, spiritually, they have only made their own situation worse. They've made some more bad karma that is going to just lead to more suffering, make them more likely to do something like this in the future. Even if the police don't arrest them for doing this, the fact that they did it is going to make it easier for them to do something else in the future, and maybe next time the police, or maybe it won't be the police. Maybe they'll try to steal from somebody who uh, has a gun or a baseball bat or something like that. So the grounds for compassion are there, the grounds for understanding are there in every action. And this is what we're looking for. We're looking to get in touch with our own understanding. All right, my suffering comes from my attachment, my, my ego attachment, and, and my non-acceptance and things like that. And the actions that trigger it come from somebody else's suffering. So what I can do is let go of my anger and instead feel compassion. And this heals me right away. And it creates good karma for me. Karma is conditioning. Now, I may have to do, if somebody does this to me again, I may have to go through the same process. But it should be easier because I've already done it once. And it may happen yet again, and that time it will be easier still. And at some point it's going to be automatic that, that I don't suffer the kind of pain that I did before. Instead, I experience the compassion, and I still do whatever I need to do. Call the police or whatever it is. You see, Now I think that is a spiritual answer. But I'll point out something else. There's one more thing that she can do. She can not only create the good karma that will spare her suffering in the future if somebody does the same thing. And you got that part all right. She can create the good karma that will make her free in the future. Even if somebody steals from her, she won't have to suffer in the same way. She can do more than that, though. She can follow this uh, advice in uh, the, this little uh, excerpt of a sutra at the top of page 10. Once Ananda assess, as suggested to the Buddha, he said, uh, he said, half of the holy life is good companions. Right, boss? And Buddha said, don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Good companions is the whole of the holy life. Because the other thing that you can do is you can say, look at the disturbance this has created in my life. Good, it gave me an opportunity to learn something. But do I need this? Do I need to associate with these kinds of people? If I associate with people, with good companions, with people of higher standards of ethics and morality, better yet, if I spend my time in the company of people who are also studying the Dharma, I'm probably not going to encounter near as many of these kinds of situations. Right? So that's another thing that she can do. Yeah. In the past, whenever I'm upset with somebody and then I examine um, their, their, their problem and I feel like it's just a mirror image of, of myself, I, yeah. I have the fundamental uh, same issues except that you know it's on, it's on the same scale. It's just that it may be a little bit you know, more minor, but the root cause of it is the same. So when, when I realize that, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy to see that person not different than myself. 
and under different circumstances, you know, without good principle, without good upbringing, you know, it's easy to, for me to see that um, I can behave similarly foolishly, and then I'll suffer the very, very negative consequences of those unwholesome behavior. And it's really, really sad to see that. Yeah. Uh, I remember a Chan story. Uh, the, uh, the the monk, the monk has only few possessions, right? Like one or two sets of robes, and a thief stole uh, his uh, robe, mm -hmm. and he came back uh, to his uh, to his small little cottage and found out, and he said, "Oh, I wish I can give the give this person the, the whole moon." My question is, is is it? If our mind in that kind of a stage, state, for example, is enlightened mind, yeah. is it possible that we even don't have kind of all this kind of struggling even a little bit? You know, it's just in such stage of consciousness, you just you just don't feel you are separate from the thief himself. <coughs> himself. Well, that to be permanently in the state of not feeling separate is that is a state of awakening. That's a, that's the state of enlightenment. And then, yes, you could respond. Somebody steals your robes. You wish you could give them everything else. You know? And that is a wonderful state of mind. And it is possible. That is that is the goal. That's what we're moving toward. And it is a reality too, but because. Seeing ourselves as separate and being attached to it and getting into, you know, well, you did this to me, so I'm going to do that to you and everything else. The, it's been tried. It's been tried, as far as I can tell, by human beings for... How long have human beings been around? <laughs> Some 200,000 years, half a million years? Anyway, it's been thoroughly tested and it does not help. It doesn't really work. It's not a good solution. So, yeah. So, but, but this other answer does work. So this was this was a good one here. This was a good example. We need more of these. More real life examples. What are the tough stuff? You know, like you're saying you you can create a good karma for yourself, you know, after and and to me it was just that it's a point of human behavior. It was not that the, the physical item that was taken from me. Mm -hmm. uh, a week later my friend after didn't even know this problem, one of my friends and I was trying to buy a computer, I'm trying to pay for a class. Mm -hmm. And um, my friend gave me a computer. So mm -hmm. I was rewarded by somebody a week later. So, you know, it's like there's kind people and there's people made up for other people. So it ended up being, uh, I don't know, she just said, give me That's a computer, right. so that was very kind of her. You think that person gave you the computer because they wanted to label themselves as generous? No. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so it came out of, a spontaneous desire. You see, it's a very interesting thing. If you see yourself in someone else, then doing something, something becomes very different. Well, you know how it is. If there's somebody that you love, your partner, your children, your parents, whatever, someone that you love, in that place from love, generosity doesn't carry. You, you, you're, you're not worried about whether making yourself feel good by calling yourself generous, let alone worried about whether somebody else sees you and says, oh, you're generous. 
And you don't do it because you're concerned that, oh, I'm going to make some merit by being generous and I'll have good karma. It just, it comes straight out of your heart as the natural thing to do. Because when you love somebody, they are an extension of yourself. And so to have the kind of generosity that you were asking about is to begin to remove that boundary that separates you from others so that you see yourself in others and then acts of generosity become as natural an expression of your being as giving something to uh, your child would be. If your child needs something and you give your child something. It's, it's a natural expression and it doesn't, and that's what we're working towards. But we have to get there from where we are. And so sometimes we start out from a place of not having much generosity in our heart and seeing ourselves as very separate from everyone else. And if that's where you are, that's where you are. It's not about saying it's, it's good or bad. It's just, it's the fact. That's where you are. So you start out from where you are. And you practice generosity from that place. Now, if you're generous enough that you can feel good about being generous, you haven't been generous enough yet. You're not really learning, forcing yourself to learn generosity until you've given enough that you feel that, you know, if you're a millionaire and you give somebody a dollar, have you given them very much? No, not at all. Right. But if, uh, if you're living on a Social Security pension of $1,000 a month and you give somebody $10, have you given very much? Or $100? Yes. So you can give, you know, it doesn't become generous until it impacts your own selfish grasping. If you give away what you don't need, and you give away the, uh, the if you give away the overflow and the surplus, you're you're being generous, but you still haven't touched into that into that place. Generosity makes you aware of your selfishness. It makes you aware of your greed and your grasping. And it's done a very good thing for you when it does that. Because then you can look at that greed and grasping. But when you can get beyond that selfishness, and so you see yourself in somebody else. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to go and give away everything you have and be left destitute. Because if you see yourself and the other person in the same way, then you share what you have to the benefit of the other person, but you don't give things away to the, the harm and disadvantage of this one. You know. So you haven't become less than the other person. You've made the other person more. And you share what you have. And at that point, there's not the feeling of... Uh, at that point, you're doing it like a parent giving something to a child. You're glad to do it. You, you know... It doesn't hurt. There's not this feeling of, oh, I'm giving up something that I really would rather keep for myself. <clears throat> now you're really being generous. So you go through the stage of you, you practice generosity as a form to help you get to the place where you practice generosity 
as a way of learning, of discovering, of getting in touch with your own greed and grasping. And that gets you to the place of being beyond your greed and grasping. Yeah? I just thought of all the practical problems. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I, I told you in the past that uh, I have a friend who's very, very generous. He makes a very good income, but then he's perpetually poor. He's always having financial difficulties yes, because right. he gives away everything. Yeah. Right. So, so there is a yeah. aspect of this. Yeah. Yes, the, the, you need to respect yourself or your own needs and your own needs. Wait, I read a story in the newspaper that really touched me, and I think they never forget this. These two senior citizens helped their building, everybody that lived in the building when they needed money or food, mm -hmm. and they deprived themselves from heat, and they both were found dead from being cold. They, yeah. would not, they would not use their heater because. They wanted to save money, yeah. but they share all their money with all the neighbors and yeah. everybody. They ended up dying from being cold. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's why it's a middle way, right? It's not an extreme way, right? That's right. You know, Buddhism is the middle. <laughs> That's right. You gotta keep it in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So. But but how, how do we know if we're in the middle? If we if, if, that, if we're generous enough that we are being we're aware of our uh, greed, then then that should be. Fairly sufficient. We don't have to give away our house. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. If you become a burden to someone else because you've given everything away, that's no longer helpful. That's yeah, no longer helpful. That, that's so right. Um, right, right. That's true. And and there are some. There are people who give too much of themselves, and it's very unhealthy. They have. Psychologically, they have feelings of inadequacy. They're trying to compensate, uh, some form of uh, self-denial, self-hatred, things like that. And so, they will over-give of themselves in ways that aren't healthy, and not just necessarily giving their money away, but giving all kinds of things away, uh, allowing other people to mistreat and abuse and take advantage of. That's not what this is about. That's totally unhealthy. I mean, that is a psychological problem. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's a different kind of thing. And the degree to which you practice generosity, the goal is to open your heart up. And uh, I'm not saying that you have to experience uh, an internal conflict because of your giving in order to say that you're giving enough. Because the point enough is only what it takes for you to open your heart up. And so that the giving becomes becomes free. Becomes freely giving. Right? So and you, you continue to respect yourself and your your own needs. The purpose, of, the purpose of generosity, the function of generosity as a practice is to teach us about our own greed. When we've overcome that, then there's no need to practice generosity anymore because we will just be, genero be generous. We will be generous and we'll be appropriately generous. And it won't be complicated by any of our psychological confusion and things like that.
You know, and you don't even have to give so much that it hurts. All you have to do is give so much that you recognize that, oh, I'm really attached to this. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. then you can focus on the attachment. Then you can say, okay, I see, I see this part of myself. Because that part of yourself likes to hide. You know? We look, if you look, you know, if you look for the selfish part of yourself, you'll find it always hidden. It's hidden under a lot of rationalizations and everything else. So all you're doing is something to blow all the camouflage out of the way so that you can see what's really there. Okay. Yeah. Now now I know where I'm really coming from. <laughs> Yeah, we've got we it. Ha- we absolutely can't stay here past 4 30 That's right. We have to get out of here before they lock Just the gate. Overnight. <laughs> so, we do have uh, a few more minutes, though, and we won't get into anything really long winded. Uh, that limits me greatly. But <laughs> Pardon me? <laughs> uh, anything else that. Uh, I, I, I like these real life things. You know, I like these situations that they, they uh, get right down to it. How do we really practice this in real life? Uh, how, do you, how, do you know when, how do you know what is generosity and what is not? How do you deal with anger? And what do you do? I mean, sort of a peripheral thing there was if you find yourself and I hope this isn't saying more than I should. But I know that you found yourself in a difficult situation with the people you associate with quite a few times. You know? And when you find that happening, it's time to change the people that you associate with. It is. <laughs> it's time to become involved with a, 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 a sangha of people who uh, have the same values and the same beliefs and have the same goals. If you spend your time as much as possible with people who are also practicing the path to awakening, practicing the Dharma, they're going to support you in the problems that still come up, but it's also going to reduce a lot of these other kinds of problems. It's taking me this long to learn that after you say that because I don't feel people should be separated by, by money or race. And okay. So I'm very open to all kinds of people. I'm, I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. considerate to poor people especially. I, I have a lot of poor, very poor friends. And so I don't separate them to be close to me because of that. Mm-hmm. But you're right, you have to get to a certain point where mm-hmm. you have to protect yourself more uh, from being taken advantage of. And that's what uh, she was saying. And how do you keep from, from having people to keep taking advantage of you because you like to help people out? You know, that's what Deborah was asking her. And the thing that you do, don't think of it as, you don't even need to think of it as protecting yourself, because that's still, you know, that's not quite touching the heart. The heart of it is that associate with the people that, it doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor, with the people that have love in their heart, with people that practice virtue, with the people that have the good, positive values that you want to cultivate in yourself. Because, you see, you'll have this effect on each other. 
everyone around you is affected by you. And you are affected by everyone that's around you. So, if, if we come together and we share the same values, that will, that will strengthen the values of every one of us. So you hang around with the people that have the same values as you, and you'll strengthen those values in them, and they'll strengthen them in you. And that's what you want to do. And yeah, money, money means nothing, because some of the most, the kindest, generous, most loving people have nothing. And uh, likewise, some of the people who are, no, no matter how much money they have, at heart they're still thieves. And they'll never stop being thieves. There's no, they had all the money in the world. They'd still be thieves in their heart. You know. So you can't go by things like that. <laughs> but when you spend time with people, you get to know their heart. And when you see that, that they resonate with you, then that's who you want to spend time with. When you see that they don't, then, then you don't spend time with them. Yes? Well, <laughs> that, now that's a very good question because, yes, yes we, find, we find ourselves in those situations. And, and another situation is the people you work with. I mean, you can change your job, although it's often very, very difficult, but you can't really change your family. Right? So that's where you really need the support of a, a community of people that do have your values so that you can still interact with your, with your family from a place of, of, uh, uh, of love, even though they may have very different values than you. And perhaps as you become skillful, you may be even able to help them to, to learn and understand. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And that's very important to do. Well, any, any other comments? Anything else you want to say? Okay, well, I hope that this has been helpful to you and it'll be very interesting to see where this goes tomorrow so once again the same thing let's let's get into the real life situations the nitty-gritty the tough problems and let's talk about them we've probably covered all, just about all the theory that we need to so it's time to get into how into the application of it the serious application of it okay so have a wonderful evening. We'll see you here tomorrow.